What's up? What's up? Welcome back to Slumber Party Cinema Club. It is me, your host, Katie. And Kate. How's how's it going, Kate? You know, it's going pretty good. Uh, we've got some gorgeous weather here in Chicago these last couple of days, which means that no matter how stressful work gets, you know, it's it's manageable. I say that because I've had a lot of stress at work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's been nice to have like, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I mean this in a non-sarcastic way, but bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, um, you mean that in the Chicago way as opposed to the Southern way. <laughs> you, right. Yeah. I don't mean that in the like the uh the petty way. <laughs> I I guess I to that end will also I wanted to give you a warning and I guess also a warning for other our listeners because of the movie that we're gonna talk about today. And I just watched it for the first time and I watched it um over the past two days. I have been in a fucking mood. Like <laughs> I am having some mental health trials. Let's oh, put no. it that way. Not because of the movie. No, 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 not because okay. of the movie. Completely unrelated. Just kind of, uh, you know how um, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, Audrey Hepburn describes like the mean reds. Yeah, seeing the reds. Yeah, yeah. seeing the I've, reds. I've, I've had, I've been having the mean reds um, the last couple days happens every now and then and I'm usually aware of it and I know that I'm cranky um and I just try to like deal with it as much as I can and not be an asshole to those around me (laughs) (laughs) well I don't know when the world is like the world is these days it's hard not to be just in a perpetual state of the reds yeah it is really difficult therapy is nice Therapy is good. I just uh, started with a new therapist this week, actually, because my old therapist uh, left her her practice and moved back to Oregon. Oh, well, congratulations. I hope that goes well. That's kind of sometimes it sucks having to start over with a new therapist. You know, I I, I would say it, you know, like it does. But my other one I didn't have for a full year. And so I'm still kind of new to the whole therapy game. And my issues that I started going to therapy for are pretty much under control, but there's like a whole bunch of other stuff that started to bubble up. And so I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to working with a therapist where it's a fresh start. Um, And this woman that I've got, she's pretty cool. She's got a career path that's very similar to mine in that she started as a journalist. Then she did communications, corporate communications, and now she's a therapist. And it's just a really interesting parallel to be talking to someone who you know, gets how a career can shift and change. And especially in the exact same way as how my career has shifted and changed and like all the way down to the fact that I'm now doing a certificate for coaching, um, which is like therapy, not quite as, as mental health based, but it, it's got similarities to therapy. And so talking to her and, and her understanding of like, where I'm at in my career and how I'm trying to move forward and all of that. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's new. It's kind of nice. I, would be really sad if I had to start with a new therapist only because I've, um, I've been with my therapist for five years. Oh yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) there's a lot of backstory we'd have to cover with the new one. That is pretty funny. Cause like I was giving backstory in our, our first session this week and she was like, and, and what was that person's name? And like, she's taking notes and I'm just like, oh yeah. I just like totally forget that you might want to know their name because you're going to probably ask me about this later. <laughs> oh yeah, I do that all the time too. Like I'll be very vague and then I realize like I can tell her the name of the person that I'm talking about. She's not going to like call yeah. them up and be like, 
<laughs> Listen to what Katie said about you. Katie, you and I, the reason that we wanted to talk about the film we're talking about today um, is that a couple of weeks ago, we went and we did some retail therapy in that we went and toured uh, 10 bookshops, uh, independent bookstores here in Chicago, which is the reason I wanted to to do an episode on this movie because I think it's just a cool tie-in. But we 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 made a day of it. We started at like, what, 9.30 and we were done by six? Yeah, 10 10 stores and like nine hours. Yeah, it was for Indie Bookstore Day. Yep. So now we have passports that get us 10% off at every bookstore uh, on the list. So uh, thank you. Shout out to our friend Franny, who is a listener of the pod um, for her uh, leadership and planning because we couldn't have done it without her. (laughs) Absolutely not. It was such a perfect circle of getting all over the city to get mm-hmm. to these bookshops in a way that made sense. I I could have never mapped it out that well. Nope, me neither. Me neither. But I'm so glad that we did it. I've got 16 new books on my shelf. And yeah, it, I've, I'm already through one of them. <laughs> oh, nice. I think I came in at six. Plus I bought some other tchotchkes along the way. I also got like a writing prompt journal. Ooh, have you started using it yet? I have not. I need to set it on my desk. So that way in the morning when I'm having my coffee, mm-hmm. I actually, you know, use it. That's a great idea. Yeah. But today we are talking about the movie. You might be thinking it's You Got Mail if you haven't looked at the episode description yet. But actually we're talking about Notting Hill. Yeah, we're talking about Notting Hill, which I am still flabbergasted, Katie, that you had not seen this movie before. I know it's it's considered one of the rom-com classics and I had never seen it until about, you know, six hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you're fresh. Like I, I did do a bit of like a rewatch earlier today just to reacquaint myself because I had only seen the movie once before in preparation actually to go to London because I knew I was going to be um, walking around that area and I was like, oh, I should probably see what this movie is. It's so, okay, Notting Hill is so cute as an area in the movie. I don't know if it really looks like that in real life, but God, it looks like just a perfect little fairy tale neighborhood that like is how I picture London and exactly where I would want to live if I lived in London. Yeah, it's pretty much what it is in the movie. Um, (laughs) It's gorgeous. You walk uh, from the the tube stop, you come up from the the tube and you're surrounded by these houses that are all cut like painted pastel colors. And some of them have plaques on them because famous people have lived there before. And you walk up the road. And I went on a Saturday for Portobello Market because um, I had never been there before. I never gone. And Mm -hmm. um, they do have a... Uh, world travel or a, a travel book company uh, storefront and a giant ass poster of Notting Hill in the window and everyone takes photos I'll of post course. my photo of it uh, on our, our Instagram this week but yeah it is it's just a really sweet little like neighborhood ta- like feels like a small little town in the middle of a city with some really cool shops too I bought a lot and you've seen a lot of the stuff that I bought it's like my marching band jacket that I've got oh yeah 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 Yeah, so that came from a little boutique called Punky Fish that I hope is still there. It was 2019 when I was there last. Um, But I bought this little boutique called Punky Fish and they just had like the cutest stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I would love, I would love to go there. But yeah, so having seen the movie, I may have some controversial opinions about this movie. Okay. Coming in hot. 
I texted this to a couple of my friends right after I finished the movie. I said, Julia Roberts, I guess I mean her character, Anna Scott, is a fucking demon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'll follow that up by saying, I did not hate the movie. I don't know if I loved it. Okay, that's fair. There were moments in the beginning when I was definitely, you know, kind of smiling at the cuteness between Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts. But Mm -hmm. then kind of after that general, like, first few dates that they sort of go on, and then there's the turn where you realize she has a boyfriend, Mm -hmm. it all kind of goes, it went downhill from there. It's a long movie. I forgot how long it was when I. It is. It was almost. It was three and a half hours um, when they did the final cut, and then they were like, "Oh crap, we can't release a three and a half hour movie. We need to cut it down more." No, you guys aren't Lord of the Rings. Yeah, for the the viewers who have not seen uh, Notting Hill, uh, pretty much it's the story of a man. He's a divorced man who runs a bookshop in Notting Hill and uh, in in London. And uh, one day, the absolute most famous actress in the world, everyone loves her. She's considered like the most beautiful woman in the world, walks in and buys a book. <laughs> um, and he doesn't really. Uh, know who she is until he figures it out and then he runs into her a little bit later in the day spills orange juice all over her accidentally takes her back to his place to clean her up and they sort of start falling in love and it's this like long stretch of time between the time that they sort of start falling in love he's like completely smitten with her he finds out she has a boyfriend who's an asshole played by Alec Baldwin um <laughs> definitely casted to type um and then yeah. you know it's just sort of the story of him trying to get over her and her making that really difficult yeah which funny thing about Alec Baldwin so I want to say he like doesn't actually have like a character name or he's like uncredited because I know at first I was kind of like is he supposed to be playing himself because you don't really know since some actors do exist like in that universe it's almost like this exists in our universe so it's like does Alec Baldwin is she dating Alec Baldwin but I guess it's not so he's not supposed to be playing himself or a caricature of himself well and apparently when they first started running uh actors by her for that role Richard Curtis who directed the film um also famously directed Love Actually while they were trying to figure out what actors they were going to be Julia Roberts pointed to the list and said every single man on that list is 20 years older than me and Richard Curtis was like oh crap it would never be reversed ever so we actually do need someone who's a little bit closer to her age who you know Alec Baldwin is yeah I read that little bit of trivia and that's kind of cool that he like sort of took that criticism and was like Okay, yeah, we need to fix this. Uh, not that he like did much with it, because Love Actually, we've got eight, barely 18-year-old here nightly, which what alleged for. Also, so funny thing I noticed, because you brought up uh, Love Actually, I was reading a bit of trivia where Richard Curtis uses the name Bernard as sort of a slight against his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend's now husband. Um, so he always refers to someone in his scripts as like an awful Bernard. And I caught it because Hugh Grant introduces himself as Bernard to Alec Baldwin in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also in Love Actually, Emma Thompson refers to her awful, awful son, Bernard. Bernard. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because I immediately I was like, hey, did he also write Love Actually? 
He did. He wrote he a did. lot of good comedies. Yeah. yeah, he's Richard Curtis is like pretty prolific that way. Well, yeah, but then also don't forget that like, and I do really like the friends, the friend group he has because there is, he has a friend, Bernie, not Bernard, Bernie. And that's played by Hugh Bonneville, who's also known as Lord Grantham. Lord Grantham. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a, such a young and just handsome, handsome Lord Grantham. Kind of a dork. It's just cute. So speaking of, because there are also, we were talking about this, a lot of cameos in the movie. Can I tell you my favorite cameo? Yes. Actually, I have two. <laughs> Not to, okay. I have two favorites. <laughs> so the first one is Dylan Moran, who is the bookshop thief, Rufus, mm-hmm. the man that sticks the book down his trousers. <laughs> and it essentially, I was like, he he is in one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite comedies, uh, black books and he plays this character uh bernard black that character literally looks how he looks in that movie so i was like is he supposed to be bernard black is this a crossover <laughs> he's not but i was hoping it could um, have been because he's an asshole and and richard curtis could have named him bernard did you ever watch that show black books? i did not i've never even heard of that show i gotta go find this oh my gosh so funny it's like I think it's it's from like the early 2000s. It's a pretty short-lived British sitcom and it has like Dylan Moran in it and Bill Bailey and like a bunch of people that you see pop up in like Simon Pegg films. Um Oh yeah, cuz wasn't that wasn't Dylan Moran also in uh, Shaun of the Dead? Mhm. Yeah, yeah, he plays Davs. But yeah, it's so good. It's it's goofy. It has that sort of like He's sort of this, like these misanthropic characters, kind of like always sunny or arrested development where everyone's just kind of, they're not necessarily terrible. They're just ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was my first favorite cameo. And then my second favorite cameo is the, so you know, the part where Hugh Grant is getting the orange juice from the guy he's getting the oranges from, like the restaurant man, is the man who was also in the mummy that plays like the jailer. Oh, really? Okay. That uh Evie is like negotiating with to like yeah. free Brendan Fraser. And then he also goes along with them on the quest and he ends up getting eaten by one of the bugs pretty early on. That's right. Yep. Yeah, he's like a blink and you'll miss it deep cut cameo but I was like hey yeah those oh, are my awesome. two favorites. I've, I've got my two favorites one is that the perfect girl that um that William meets they finally get it right and they finally introduce him to someone that's absolutely perfect and it's Emily Mortimer mm-hmm. who, she's been in a million things I just I really enjoy watching her um but my other favorite and I just picked up on it this time around is that when Will goes to interview goes to interview Anna well doesn't mean to but he's stuck on the press junket and he has to interview all the rest of the actors there's a 12 year old actress that he's interviewing and it's like she's like this is my 22nd film uh that's Misha Barton yeah I knew you were gonna say that I I yelled out I was like hey baby Misha yeah that's little Misha Barton so cute yeah only in it for like a few seconds but absolutely adorable and let me see i'm just i'm going through her filming her film thing i want to see this was like definitely probably one two three four five this was her seventh project (laughs) when she was playing the 12 year old actress 
that's funny it's so funny because I almost she says like in the movie her character is like this is my 23rd film and my favorite film was working with Leo DiCaprio and I was like are they kind of almost basing her on like Kirsten Dunst because she was sort of like the same kind of age you yeah. know Kirsten Dunst did a lot of projects as yeah a young and a yeah. lot of meaty projects so yeah so um what were you so yeah so let's go back to because I I also read in the trivia that you never hear Anna say William's name ever in any of any of the lines. She never calls him by his name. Yeah. So let's go back to how how she's a demon. (laughs) How she's a demon. Sure. Usually I am team female. Men are fucking dumb when it comes to like rom-coms and like romances and stuff. That's usually the case. But Hugh Grant's character is just so like, sweet and he is I would almost I Richard Curtis obviously a male who wrote this like I'm almost surprised that this is not a character that was written by a female because he is sure is that like sort of just dopey awkward nice pleasant man that you would love to meet while you're on vacation in Britain as an American And Julia Roberts just like fucking brings him through the ringer. Like her first mistake, I want to say, is the when you find out she has a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and then they don't really have any real conversation about it. Like Hugh Grant doesn't even necessarily press the issue. Like I think they don't see each other for like a month or so in between like when that happens and then when they do see each other again. Because I think the next time he sees her is after the the nude photos have leaked. Yeah, but she gets she becomes a victim of revenge porn. Mm-hmm. Before we had a name for it. Yep. And, you know, I, I I commend him for being like a nice guy and realizing like, okay, she's vulnerable right now. She's going through a thing, but it's like, I don't know. They, they never have a real conversation about it. Even I was kind of like, well, wait, were you guys like separated and he flew in trying to like make up with you? Were you guys still dating? Like, what was the sitch? And I don't, Either I totally missed it and the conversation wasn't paying close enough attention or they just never really actually talk about it. No, they really just don't don't talk about it. Yeah. So, and then they spend like this really nice day together and then she, you know, the press shows up at his front door. She's sort of, her hiding place has been found out and she like goes off the fucking rails is like basically accusing him that this is great for him and he sold her out going on and on and on and like she says something I think like the the worst thing she says when they're having this argument is like this is something I'll regret for the rest of my life and that's when I was like oh you fucking demon (laughs) yeah and I think he he was and then I think Hugh Grant is kind of like yeah it's the opposite for me but then they don't see each other again for a year. Uh, and then she's back in London filming again. And he shows up to her set to see her. And first of all, I'm like, why would you, why would you do this? But I, whatever, I guess <laughs> a third party <laughs> perspective, but he shows up to like her set and she's like, oh yeah, hang around. Like, I think we need to talk and stuff. And like, he's on, so she's mic'd up while on set. And like the sound guy lets him like have a pair of headphones so he can hear the dialogue, I guess, while they're filming. 
Mm-hmm. And she over he he overhears a conversation she's having with one of her fellow actors on set. He asks her like, "Hey, who's that bloke that you uh, you were talking to?" And she's just like very dismissive. She's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, no one. Like just this guy and whatever." And well, I mean, like she didn't know he was listening in. Still, that reminds me. It reminds me of I don't know. Do you watch Bridgerton? I do not. My sister does, though. Okay. I couldn't remember if you watched it, too. Um, but at the end of season two, there's these two characters, Penelope and Colin, and you've sort of watched them. You know Penelope has been in love with Colin, like, for two seasons. You've sort of watched her, like, dance around him and be sort of almost the best friend to his just being fucking oblivious. Mm-hmm. And at the end of season two, you hear him or you watch her overhear him, like basically dismiss her in front of a bunch of his dude friends. Like they had been dancing together at a ball and all the guys are like, hey, I saw you dancing with Penelope and, you know, being all dumb teen boys or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and then, yeah, Colin just totally shit talks her to his friends and it's really shitty. Um, and she overhears that. And that's kind of what that moment reminded me of was that moment in Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those were like the three main times she was super shitty to him. And like every time he like she reappears or they like see each other again, like Hugh Grant is never mad or upset. He's never demanding an apology or an explanation when he absolutely deserves one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's really interesting, though, because, like, these seem to be, like, gripes about the people, right? And, like, unfortunately, shitty people exist. What I yeah. really, I think one of the reasons that I don't hate the movie, though, I'm not going to say uh-huh. I hate the movie, because I'm with you. Like, it's not it's far from my favorite movie, or even close to the list of favorite rom-coms. But um, I think the whole thing where she... I think this is where like the strength of the writing is, right? She mm-hmm. gets really f- upset when the paparazzi show up because everything in her life is a setup. She's had her nude photos leaked. She's a mm-hmm. movie star who gets chased by by people. We see her at the restaurant when she has to overhear a conversation about her. Um, mm-hmm. And handles it beautifully, apart from the fact that she says the tuna is good, but earlier she said she's a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, like there's there's like it makes sense that she would be really pissed off and not trust him at all. Like Mm -hmm. she she is in a place at that point where she just can't trust anyone. And I don't know. I kind of like the fact that it's a flip from how we usually see rom-coms happen where the women are the ones who get really are supposed to get an apology, but they don't. (laughs) Yeah, true. I did. I did kind of notice like a little bit of a gender flip between the way that the roles are written yeah. And I think that's I what's been it was interesting is like before I started rewatching it, I was like, you know, it's almost I know that they made Pretty Woman about 10 years before this, but mm-hmm. it's almost like a flip from Pretty Woman, where all of a sudden Julia Roberts isn't being brought into this new world of glitz and glamour and wealth. She's the one who's the glitz and the glamour and the wealth, and she's finding herself in a world that's not that that's a lot more simple yeah and you kind of see like how she has like those moments of normality like 
when they're at the dinner party for his sister. Mm-hmm. And even like the day, the like the shitty day that they spend together where like it, it's the day that like her photos leaked and she comes to his flat, you know, for refuge. Like it's even like a really just with that outside, but inside it's just a nice normal day with this couple sort of like slice of life. Mm hmm. Like having meals together, he's helping her practice her lines. Like, yeah. And I also I I do agree with the that like the way she's written and the things that happen in the movie, like it does build up to her having this sort of irrational blowout when the press shows up at his door and she's there trying to hide. Mm-hmm. But and I guess Hugh Grant's character he's such a gentle guy like he never gets angry he never like raises his voice which is not a bad thing he doesn't like yell back at her or try to like say anything to cut her down like the way that she did him in that moment which is like really lovely Mm -hmm. I took a like after I watched the movie, I went out for like a walk and I was thinking about the movie more and thinking about like my own reactions to it and how like my own life experience, I sort of interpreted the movie. And I was thinking about like my really bad last breakup. And I think I did a lot of the things that like in that breakup that Hugh Grant was doing with Julia Roberts, where it's like, just trying to be like really gentle and easygoing and not wanting to like stir the pot because I want this relationship to work out. And so I was like retroactively getting angry at myself for never getting angry at the person who hurt me through (laughs) Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of it that way because swinging back to how we opened the episode, it's like we planned this. Um, yeah. The beauty of having a therapist is like, we talked through things and she was like, do you think that maybe you became super, super angry and sad because of this most recent breakup? Because you never let yourself be angry and sad after your breakup before that one. Yeah. Like, oh, shoot. So anytime now, um, Hugh Grant's going to just blow a gasket because I can only imagine that he was also very passive and gentle and didn't let his emotions show when the divorce happened. It's probably good that they ended up married and pregnant by the end of the movie. That's the other thing, just like quick side note. Also going into this movie, I was like, I can't picture Hugh Grant as like sort of a romantic lead because I got to know Hugh Grant via movies post cheating on Elizabeth Hurley. And also, I think the first movie I ever saw him in was like Bridget Jones's Diary, where he plays like an absolute cad, if you will. <laughs> yeah, well, so I mean, like, while he was like, he wanted to do Notting Hill because he was like, he read the script. He's like, I know this is going to be a success and I need a win. Because at that point he had done four weddings and a funeral, but he had also had a couple real slumps of films um Mm -hmm. and he knew he needed to get his career back on track and so he took this one I also forget if this movie came out pre or post uh cheating on Elizabeth Hurley well this one was 1999 I have to say after I think it was probably after that might not have helped his reputation either um yeah the big big one like the big like put him on a map movie was four weddings and a funeral just five years before 
I also haven't seen that. <laughs> you know, that I would be interested in your thoughts on that one too. Okay. Maybe we'll watch that one eventually. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I think it's really interesting watching what his career has done as he's gotten older. I think he's got a weird sense of humor about himself because he's so, like, it seems fake how self-deprecating he is. Yeah, but he was like that even, like, all of his characters are a little bit self-deprecating. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we just saw him in the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which I think he was fantastic in. It was a perfect role for him. Like, that's mm. the roles that I see him in. Which is, like, as a rom-com fan, though, it's kind of surprising to me that you, like, and that maybe it is the Elizabeth O'Hurley thing, right? So, yeah, I can understand why that might, you know, make give you a bit of a bitter, ta- bitter taste. But, like, in the 90s, like, he was doing really, really well. Um, yeah. Four Weddings and a Funeral, he was in Sense and Sensibility, where um, Alan Rickman was the smoke show in that one. Sorry. I mean, yeah, no, you don't <laughs> have to apologize to me. I 100% regret <laughs> And he did those two pretty much back to back. And yeah. then he was in another movie called Nine Months that was pretty popular. Uh, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. And then Notting Hill. Like he had like an appearance on The Nanny in between. He was like, I need to do something. He also played mm-hmm. the doctor in a Doctor Who uh, comic relief sketch. Like Bridget Jones's diary came after Notting Hill. And that's where they were like, oh, if we polish him up and don't give him glasses, then he looks more like Cad. <laughs> get him to stutter a little less yeah I mumble it's not there because then he goes and like I remember watching two weeks notice uh with Sandra Bullock when I had I think my tonsils out I do like that movie okay I like him and Sandra Bullock in that movie and then of course so I was already sung Julia Roberts praises quite often on this podcast yeah well and I was gonna say really quick like I have the same blockage with Jude Law like I can't mm. he's not the leading man that I love. But yeah, Julia Roberts. The thing that I was going to say about her. Okay, so you just said we, we've we sung her praises a lot on this podcast. And thank God you said that. Because the next thing I'm going to say. And see, this is why I warned everybody about my mood before. <laughs> so after I watched the movie, Cody had gotten off work. And he was uh, finishing up watching it with me. And I started talking about my Julia Roberts' character as a demon thoughts. And he brought up that, well, you know, I've read that sort of the retrospect uh, looking at her rom-com characters now is that all of her rom-com characters are a little bit shitty. And I was like, yeah, kind of. Like, I wouldn't say Pretty Woman counts. Yeah, I, that, I would say but Pretty like, Woman, I don't see her. Like, that one seems to be the most likable of all the characters. Yeah, but like Runaway Bride, like she's kind of shitty. Like obviously mm-hmm. like jilting a bunch of grooms at the altar is kind of shitty. You know, she spends part of that movie going back to all of her former boyfriends, fiancés. And basically it's like, there's this reporter doing a story about me. Like, please don't tell him I'm terrible. You know, oh, my best friend's wedding. She's so terrible in that. <laughs> Not not the acting job, the character she's playing. No, 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 no. Yeah, the character she's playing. No, she's a great actress, the character she's playing. And then I brought up, I was like, well, you know, in Closer, and we've brought that up mm-hmm. before on the podcast, and you've seen that movie now. Like, her, that is kind of her character. Like, she's a terrible person who doesn't realize that she's kind of a terrible person who plays around Mm-hmm. Or who plays kind of fast and loose with people's feelings. Yeah, I mean, like, 
even her character in Steel Magnolias at some point I'm just like I don't like this character which is terrible yeah. to say because we know how that movie ends but like yeah well I said the same thing too I was like even you know I was like Steel Magnolias it's a little debatable because it's like okay she's you start the movie it's her wedding day and you find out that like she's had a fight with her fiance because she said she didn't want to marry him and she was going to call the wedding off and apparently it's to do with like debate over whether or not they can have kids because she's diabetic and then against the advice of like every single person in her life and her doctor she's like fuck it I'm gonna have a kid anyways and she does end up dying which is Mm -hmm. sort of the warning but it's like I guess from my point of view I would think like would you not like I get you know if you are somebody who's like god I want to be a mom so bad but it's like do you not also take into consideration like the risk and like if you do die the effect that that's gonna have on your family and you know on your child who's gonna like grow up without a mother and Mm -hmm. it did it it does seem I guess depending on how you want to interpret it and I'm not gonna say one is right or one is wrong it seems like a selfish choice for her to have made but we can always talk about that more when we eventually do an episode on Steel we eventually talk about Steel Magnolias. I yeah. mean, eventually we'll do like every Julia Roberts movie. Eventually we'll get there. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like the character can be awful, but like they're still dynamic. And I'd much rather watch someone who's kind of like a de- someone who is kind of a demon, like as you yeah. put it, or Notting Hill. I'd much rather watch a character like that than have just like just watch Hugh Grant's character essentially who's just sort of like well this sucks (laughs) true I yeah and I do use fucking demon as hyperbole for comedy's sake I mean part of it is also it's a foil too right I mean it would be really super boring if they were both very even keeled people there would be no story we need her to be a little bit more dramatic and oh yeah like yeah you have to have conflict and this is okay. This is the thing I was going to ask you about. So mm-hmm. I see this a lot on bookstagram. I, I follow a lot of like romance bookstagram circles. And I've noticed that like some people are against uh, what we call like the third act breakup. So like when, you know, the couple breaks up for whatever, usually weird miscommunication reasoning. Yeah. And apparently some people like hate that. I'm kind of like, I'm on board because I, I get really like frustrated when there's a breakup because of something like one person missaid said something. That, yeah, and that's, <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was going to be my question of like, do you, does the third act breakup annoy you or are you like cool with it? I think like largely it would have to depend, but largely like I'm cool with it because it's like, okay, if it's a miscommunication situation, like obviously insecurities can get in the way of things especially in new relationships Mm -hmm. so it does make sense to me sometimes when like something really stupid breaks up a couple within a story and they you know get their heads out of their asses later on and figure it out yeah I like I'm sure there are instances of it where I'm like what the fuck like you know I don't know Romeo and Juliet like God, that could have been avoided. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I don't mind the third act breakup because usually, like, it has to happen. Then, like, 
if it happens earlier then what's the point of the rest of the story in some ways but I do like I just I don't jive with movies that are like or or stories where it's like oh one like someone misread the note or the wrong person got the note and now like that person you know like she thinks that he's cheating on her you're like when it's dumb shit like that I'm not a fan when it's someone being nefarious like oh bring it on like yeah well yeah like it it makes sense like not necessarily they have two breakups technically in this movie yeah the oh you had a boyfriend and I didn't realize breakup that's sort of like the appetizer breakup and then we have our main course breakup after you know the paparazzi scandal and that one makes sense to me because you know she jumps to conclusions this really terrible thing is happening like it's all chaos that one makes sense or like and she's all that like she finds out about the bet and like everything gets topsy-turvy or same thing with like 10 things I hate about you like mm-hmm. she finds out about the bet and everything goes to hell um, yeah like I'll take that that's fine I usually a lot of stuff that I've written so far romance wise usually includes a third act breakup mm-hmm. well like I said um, that's like just the way that story structures have to work because like if the resolution is that they get back together then that happens as like the main point like the end of the story the happily ever after yeah I can't I'm really I'm like flipping through the uh the file of facts of romance books and movies in my brain trying to think of like an instance where it really bothered me but I can't think of one but that's okay we don't need to (laughs) (laughs) well I do Um, you know as as much as I mean this is a very white movie um we have one actor one black actor in it and he plays one of Julia or sorry one of Anna's co um co-stars in the movie uh and he gets interviewed but Mm -hmm. I give I gotta give this movie some credit for the fact that they have a character in a wheelchair and you know what at first I was about to be critical of it because when they're at the dinner party, you know, like the part where they're sort of like airing their oh, shit who has the worst life. life. Yeah. When yeah and, she, and she mentions it and she complains. And I was like, well, that's dumb. Someone in a wheelchair wouldn't express feelings like that of, you know, people that I read about or know who are in wheelchairs. But then you find out that like she's only been in a wheelchair for like a year. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she's still like grieving her ability to like walk and stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Never mind. I retract yeah. that. Yeah, like they talk about the accident and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it has a 90s level of diversity in it. It actually is probably a little above the bar. <laughs> <laughs> also, like one thing that I was kind of, I don't know, up, not upset about. So like, you know, within the friend group, you have um, Hugh Grant's little sister, Honey, mm-hmm. and then Lord Grantham. I can't remember his name. Bernie. Yeah. Bernie. Thank you. <laughs> Young Lord um, Grantham who works the stock market and doesn't re- recognize Anna at first and is a complete idiot. <laughs> God, it's so sweet because he's doing that like, oh, you're an actor. Good for you. That's great. like, it's just such a sweet How much did you make on your last project? She's like 15 million, which by the way, is how much Julia Roberts was paid to make this movie. <laughs> oh, really? 15 million was her paycheck for this. They also said that um, Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts were the 
people that they wrote the movie for. They were the first pick for who they wanted to be in in this picture. And so the fact that they got both of them, like Hugh Grant, we already mentioned, like just wanted a good movie that he could work with and probably restoke his career with, which he did. Um, but then Julia Roberts um, was also interested. She's like, oh, I read the script. I love the script. They really are perfect casting. But yeah, what I was going to say was, I was hoping that um, Honey and Bernie were going to get together because he says something about like, oh, no one fancies me. And she's like, I fancy you. Yeah, um, but then she throws in that very 90s, like fat phobic comment of like, I fancied you until you got fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think she says that because he makes a comment about how That's himself true, yeah. about how he's gotten fat. But I was like, oh, maybe they'll get together. And then she sort of like, swings out of left field and like it goes for the other oddball character of the movie Hugh Grant's roommate plays played by Reese Ephon's Spike yeah. yeah that one's weird to me well although when they first wrote the movie um Richard and we gotta correct this um Notting Hill was not directed by um by uh Richard Curtis it was written by Richard Curtis Roger Mitchell uh directed the movie but anyway, okay. um, when Richard Curtis was originally writing it, he thought that Honey was going to work at the record store across the street from the bookshop and that she would not be related at all to William. She would be like a woman that like he's interested in and that they would get together. And the idea was that eventually like William would like turn down Anna at the end of the movie because mm-hmm. that's like a fantasy. And he wanted to be with he decides to be with Honey because it's like the reality and she's you know across the street instead of a famous actress but I guess Richard Curtis was like I don't want to like dismiss Anna just that much so they turned it into that Honey was his sister I kind of like that they changed that yeah I like the fact that they pulled it out of this like competition between two women kind of idea yeah I I always hate a love triangle yeah love triangles are not my my thing I also do love that when honey meets Anna, she's like, she does the thing that like, we definitely all do where it's like, you know, I've always thought that we would be best friends. And then she's like, we are best friends now. It's great. And (laughs) it's just so cute. It really, yeah. And, and Anna plays along with it too. Yeah. She's very kind about it. You see, you see every interaction that she has with like sort of different type of people. Like you see that like fan that's like, I think we would be best friends. And then you see uh, Rufus, the thief, you know, being like, do you want my phone number? And she's like, no, thank you. And then you have the, the guys in the restaurant who basically, uh, if Twitter existed in the nineties, they would be on Twitter saying the shit they were saying in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um about her but yeah you see her sort of deal with like every type of fan interaction that an actor might have yeah yeah and and well too yeah I mean she says she's been doing it for 10 years so you know she knows Mm -hmm. how to treat people and stuff we I guess we know that like the the restaurant part is probably a newer interaction for her actually like biting back at people saying shitty stuff about her and she freaks out after she does it she's like I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have done that well the interesting thing is is it like I said like those guys are the internet it's things that Mm -hmm. like people say shit on the internet about celebrities all the time that 99% of them would never say that if the person was standing right in front of them 
Yeah. Yep. Exactly. How about Richard Curtis predicted the internet? Yeah. <laughs> Run by well, a bunch I know- of fucking right. incels. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know that we are coming close to the end of our time together. Um, do you have any other thoughts about the movie? One other teeny. Oh, actually, I'll say two. I'll do one other criticism and then one thing that I really loved. Okay. My criticism is the music's not very good. Oh, no, the music's horrific. <laughs> they use one like, L Green song and that's great. And the rest of it just no. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, and at the end of the movie, they have Alice Costello performing like she, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I like Alice Costello. This just, I don't know. It feels, I started laughing. (laughs) It just feels so silly. Yeah. None of the music. It's very good. It doesn't feel like it's in the movie. I just wasn't a fan of the choices, but one thing I did like that was this really cool shot of the movie was actually probably one of the better music choices and a cool shot for like any movie was, is after they do their big breakup, their second breakup. And there's a scene where you're seeing like a passage of time, like a year goes by in Hugh Grant's life and you see him walking down the street in Notting Hill and ain't no sunshine is playing. Mm-hmm. And you see him walk through the seasons as he's walking down the street and it's just one tracking shot. Yeah, that one, that one gets me. I also really like the shot when they sneak into the garden on that first real date kind of thing. When they sneak Mm -hmm. into the garden and they do like a Tarantino, (laughs) like bird's eye view shot. Oh Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like, it's just, I I think that's also really sweet. And I do have a piece of trivia about, um, about the bench that they sit on in that scene. So that bench is now in Australia. It's in West Perth, I believe, but someone had purchased the bench as in like an auction for charity and they bought it for a relationship. They bought the bench for, you know, whoever they're getting married to, I think or, you know, loved. And then that relationship completely dissolved. There was a a big breakup. And so they donated the bench to like the local government was just like, put this in a park. (laughs) Okay. So there is, if you go to Australia, you can sit on the bench that Hugh that uh, Hugh Grant and uh, Julia Roberts sit on in in the movie, but you have to go to Australia to do that. Well, that's very unfortunate that the original couple did not survive their third act breakup. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much, but also uh, the apartment. So where Notting Hill is, there's an apartment or not where Notting Hill is where the bookshop is. There's an apartment above it. And when she became super famous, Adele bought the flat that was above the, um, the bookshop. Um, and then she sold it a little bit later. She lived there only a little bit of time before she went back to live with her mom. Oh shit. That's kind of cool. Oh yeah. That was like one other thought I had about that bookshop. I had like a very businessy thought about him having a travel bookshop. I was like, I don't know if having a niche bookshop like that, where it's just travel books is like very, very good business move. (laughs) No, it's not. Except maybe if I could think of one place where it would work, it would be Notting Hill. I guess. But even there, it wasn't really working. I guess within the Even there, he's having a hard time. Yeah. But yeah. So that was Notting Hill. Now I've seen it. I would not, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I don't know if it's something that I'll go back and be like, let's rewatch this. But like, if someone put it on, I wouldn't be mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd know what it is. 
I would say that it's, I don't know if I want to call it a rom-com though. I don't think it's as much a comedy as it's a romantic drama. Yeah, it is a little bit more drama than comedy maybe. Well, I'm glad that uh, you got to see it finally. And, you know, uh, we'll see what we decide to cover next week. Um, We will be back. We'll have another episode. We've got plenty of movies that we've got on our list. So you'll have to come back, uh, everyone, back to the slumber party uh, to hear what we cover next time. I know one of our movies we've got coming up is going to be The Little Mermaid. Yes, it is. So, you know stick around for that and in the meantime make sure you follow us at sp cinema club on twitter and on instagram you can follow us there see some polls i know last week i i threw uh the clip of harrison ford and chewbacca uh yelling at each other on what turned out to be um jimmy kimmel i thought it was uh i thought it was conan but it was actually kimmel makes me laugh every time go go check it out <laughs> yeah that one is pretty good i hadn't seen that in a long time and then i rewatched it yeah so yeah so uh make sure you follow us over there uh send us your thoughts invite your friends uh give us uh, recommendations for what movie you'd like to hear us uh, yammer on about uh in a future episode and until then we'll see you at the slumber party see you next time bye bye Woo-hoo.